the stories we tell ourselves is extremely powerful. So if you say things like, I am bad with money or I'm not good at sales, you're defining yourself with a statement like that. You have to get rid of that in your vocabulary. You could say, I have room to get better in sales. I'm working on being better at these things. Like, because you acknowledge that's an area that you, you need work and you can grow in. But if you define yourself as I am this bad person sales, you will remain. You can stop that. And the first part is how you communicate to yourself and about yourself, the story you tell yourself. You have to reframe that. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. Today's episode of The Path is with none other than Adam Schaefer co-host of the epic podcast, Mind Pump. While overcoming tough adversity in his younger years, Adam has evolved himself into an incredibly successful, purpose-driven entrepreneur and family man. He has over 20 years experience in fitness and business that still continues to excite him to this day. Since I first met Adam and the Mind Pump crew, I've been able to witness the massive growth they've all worked hard to attain. At Mind Pump, the mission is to bridge the gap between wellness and performance. They always offer fun conversations with a unique blend of education and entertainment. I've personally found Adam's input on leadership and work-life balance to be super inspiring. In our conversation today, you're going to get an inside look into many of the elements that has made Mind Pump and the team so solid. You'll also get to hear gems on how you can be more effective with sales, working as a team, creating long-term healthy partnerships, and becoming a more present parent. Adam's willingness to share openly the challenges and lessons he is still going through to this day left me having a much greater appreciation for him as a friend and guest on the show. I know you're going to love this one, so let's dive right in. One of the first early hacks that we figured out was, you know, we got away from this like formal like, oh, Mike Salemi. And then, you know, tell us a little about like get out of that. And just because we're all natural conversationalists and I'm generally curious about you. And it's like that's that's so authentic and real. And then just letting people come into that. And then I can go do a intro afterwards. You know, and then you could like, so let's say we go right and we're just talking about our fast right now. And it's like, well, that's kind of a weird place to start. Well, not really, not if you do a formal intro and then you do that, you know, who Adam Schaefer is, how you know me. And hey, I decided to, I wanted you guys to hear this conversation that we were just starting to talk about fasting and, and that's where we start off. And then we go all these places. And so you can forecast the conversation. So it's not so weird for the person. And it, but what it, where it really matters is the guests. It makes your guests so much more comfortable to just have this dialogue and go like, oh, by the way, we've been recording this whole time. And it's like, oh shit, I didn't even know. It's like- It's so true because even like, even in shooting like YouTube videos or whatever, whether it's solo or with a guest or something like that, it's like, as soon as you, they know it's like camera on, it's like everything freezes or they just completely change. And two seconds before they were just chatting or dropping just so much knowledge and wisdom in a way that's just colloquial, just very conversational. And even when I started shooting YouTube videos more often, I started shooting the intros after. Yes. Because when I started realizing, I was like, man, I'm doing 30 takes of an intro. What I really want to do is teach and share. Yep. And that's what I can do naturally. And then afterwards, I can come back and shoot it. It makes it so much easier. Oh, so much better. I mean, even today, what we do is like, 
So Sal and Sal now has, and what we, we figured that all out. We just rip and we give, like you said, give what you love. Like you have, you give, you have this, uh, and that's, a, that's one of the great qualities about you. Uh, and something I think we all share is that we, we, we generally got into this space to help others and to give to people. So like lead with that foot, just blah, get out there and just give. And then after you let it all out and you go like, then go back and go like, okay, so I addressed this. I talked about this. And then I'm like, then Sal will have all these notes and then he can go back and do the formal welcome to mind pump. And today we cover blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it makes it so much better than trying to do that first and then presenting the content. Cause then you also feel constraints around like what you need to talk about. Cause, oh, you said in your intro this, so it needs to flow that way. And that just messes with you versus like, Hey, I just, I have something to give to you. I'm going to give it to you and then I'll unpack it and, and do the intro later. So that was a huge thing. How was it like, or how, how was it like, and how long did it take you guys? Cause you guys, like I'm looking around here and what I was sharing with you guys before, it's like, it is nostalgic being back here. Cause I, uh, for those that don't know, um, five years ago, I mean, I've been in fitness for a long time, but that's when I transitioned formerly out of my family business and marble and granite tooling into this. And literally you guys actually, while I was still working for the family business, I had reached out to Sal, who I'd known um, from some, some years prior. And I came here asking for advice. Like, you know, I'm driving, I'm diving full, full bore into this, this passion. I remember showing up here with, uh, I don't know if you remember, but like these posters that I had created, yeah. I was like all excited, like movement breakdowns. Yeah. And I didn't even know what I was going to do, but I was like, like I'm, I'm genuinely interested in, in what you guys have to say and like how I view you guys even at that time was being, you know, immensely successful. And so you guys were a huge part. I mean, I was, to my knowledge, I was your first sponsored athlete. For yep. those that don't know, we ran a badass kettlebell competition here. So there's like a lot of history, especially in the early days between me and you guys. And to see like I'm in the studio now and I'm like tripping out. Like I'm partially blinded by <laughs> a light overhead. So I'm focusing on Adam's face. But it's just so cool to see how far you guys have come. So I guess one of the things I'm just super curious about is like, what does it feel like now? Because uh, I know you guys had started the podcast before mm -hmm. uh, we had met. What does it feel like now? How do you define success? Well, there's two different things there right now, right? So... Uh... How do I feel? Believe it or not, I don't feel that much different today than I do when we first started this, generally speaking. Uh, my excitement for the business, uh, I share this all the time with people, that that's one of my favorite things about this. We are almost over seven years deep into this. I'm as excited today about the business and my partners as I was the first day. Because everybody knows when you first start anything, there's that, that, in, that, excitement and novelty and like, and then eventually that tends to wear off and then it becomes more like a job. This still hasn't become that for me. I mean, it literally still feels like this dream thing that we, we created and it really, it really has been that and it has completely evolved that way. So, uh, that hasn't, that really hasn't changed that much. Like that part for me is the same. Now the success thing question, that's a bit of a moving target. I feel like like if you were to, I think if you were to ask me at ever like different stages of my life, I probably would define um, success totally different. Like I was early on in my twenties, I was very money driven. Like I, I came from not having a lot of money when we were when we were I was a kid and growing up, and uh, I, I knew that was a the root of a lot of challenges and problems that my parents had. And so I I had a lot of drive and ambition around uh, being financially successful. And I reached that, uh, that, that, you know, artificial number 
that I had in my head when I was younger in my like late 20s. And it was actually at a point in my life where uh, I was in the worst shape. Um, I had lost a relationship with two of my best friends. I had just had a girlfriend cheat on me. I was literally miserable. I mean, financially, I had the deepest pockets I had in my life. And I had reached this massive goal that I had. But when I really kind of stepped outside of myself and kind of like took this inventory on my, my, my total life, um, I would say that a lot of things were in disarray aside from the finances. So I sure now I wasn't worried about money so much, uh, but all the other aspects of my life were completely out of whack and out of balance. And I realized quickly that I, I wasn't happy where I was at. And so that was a very pivotal point for me to, to redefine success that, oh, wow, it isn't a dollar amount. Um, and at that time in my life, I was doing something for the money. Like I was chasing a career in the cannabis space because that was booming at the time. And I saw an opportunity to make a lot of money and I went and did, but like I said, quickly figured out that that's not what I think success is anymore. Like, oh, wow, I've, I've reached that. I no longer had the stress from that, but then a lot of my other parts of my life were out of whack. And so that is actually what sent me back into fitness. And really the birth of Mind Pump wasn't much longer after that was me trying to figure out, okay, now that I have a little bit of money put away that I don't have to stress about money or it's no longer a main focus, now I have this opportunity to like really think about what do I want to do? Well, I love fitness. I love helping people. That's like for sure has always been a passion of mine. And I really love doing that even as a trainer and, and a manager. And so I knew I wanted to get back in the space. I saw where social media was going. I saw where podcasting was going, YouTube was going, all these mediums and thought, okay, I'm going to take what I've been doing my whole career in health and fitness and start to utilize some of these channels. And uh, that's, I literally went and turned on uh, YouTube and turned on Instagram and Facebook all for the first time in my life with that intent that I was going to build some sort of a fitness business around it. Now, I had no idea I was going to meet Doug and Sal and Justin and I would partner up. Um, but I did. And when we did, it was absolute chemistry. And what, what's most amazing is that a lot of our values aligned and what we kind of wanted from life. I think, I think we'd all, even though our journeys are all very different, I think we'd all come similar to, to that similar conclusion that we all wanted success, but that success had changed and morphed from just being financially successful to a more kind of complete rounded look. And I think we were all kind of uh, seeking that together. And so we've really built this thing over the last seven years with that in mind. So many times we will look at an opportunity that we know uh, will generate more money for the company and us. And many times we won't do it because it, it doesn't align with everything else that we want from our life. And what that looks like now is, you know, work-life balance with our, our family. And, and, you know, we all have kids. I have a kid now. Do we enjoy doing it? You know, is it a thing that I like to get up and do, or is it, is it something that is just going to make money? And it's like, at this point, we, that's not what we're chasing. And so, yeah, so success for me now looks like this thing where most of my day is spent around doing things I absolutely love. I don't want to do stuff that I don't love doing. And I'm at, a, I've, I'm at a place in my life that I, I have built something with my partners that has allowed me the flexibility to farm out anything and everything that I don't like doing. So I can completely focus on things that I love to do. And that results in better results because I'm doing the stuff I like to do. And so I don't look at time as like, oh, I've been working on this for four hours straight because I'm passionate about it. So it makes, uh, and then I also choose to do things 
that don't have these time constraints on myself where it's like, I have to be here from nine to five, or it's like, I have this flexibility. We have this commitment for the podcast. We have to put out, we've committed to five shows a week, which can be recorded in really two days if we really needed to. Okay. So if we needed to record everything for the week, we could do it in two days. We rarely do that, but we do do that when we have a vacation we take for a week or whatever, like we just got back from Cabo. Um, So that is my only real time constraint. Everything else I've, I've built around my life. And so I never miss a a night reading to my son. I never are, are there when he gets home from school um, I have every night with my wife dinner, like th- those things don't get missed. Non-negotiable. Yeah. Non-negotiable. And, and uh, we, her and I have had a pact long before mind pump even started. Cause we've been together for almost 12 years now that um, you know, if we're ever, cause we both are very career motivated and, and, and are passionate about the things that we do. If we ever feel like we are uh, moving apart or not focusing on each other in our relationship, that she has the power and the control to literally like, hey, by the way, next week you're gone for three days, you know, and it's in my count. She runs the calendar for all of us. She does, yeah. So she for, has that that power and control. Now, right? Yeah, yeah. And so she can say, nah, we're we're going. We're taking three days off, and it's just gonna be you and I. I got someone to watch Max, and or we're going as a family, and we're gonna do this. And so, um, to me, like that, to me is the the thing that I would say uh, makes me feel the most successful is that. I have that. It's not, it's no longer a, a zero in my bank account or this thing of credibility or fame or any of that. It's really, have I built something that allows me to do what I want to do when I want to do it? Am I passionate and love doing it? And does it not get in the way of the things that are most valuable to me, which would be my, my in- intermediate family, my extended family, my friends, and like, and so I really feel like the, my partners, I feel, are, are very much so aligned with that. And so when we make business decisions, uh, that is part of the conversation. It's not just simply X's and O's. You've come up with an incredible criteria that works for you and the whole group right now with where you guys are at and where you guys want to head. And one of the things that I'm curious about is, I think just as men in general, speaking in general, a lot of men feel like they tend to be the lone wolf, whether it's in business or whatever it is in their life, they need to do everything. So I'm curious, can you share a little bit about your experience when you were in cannabis? Was it just you? Because everything that I'm hearing you say right now is just you basically have designed your life in the way that's around your happiness and your family's happiness. How has that shift been different? Were you always looking for a team? So, I mean, you're hitting on something that I would, um, I would consider one of my attributes as, as a leader is Early on, I realized I wasn't the smartest, most experienced person in the room. And quickly, I attached myself to others that were far more successful than I was and never had a problem letting go of certain tasks. Um, This is where, like, we're probably, you and I are different. You're probably a little bit more like Doug. Uh, Justin is more like this. I like, this is like something, and again, I, I'm going to tease Doug because Doug's in here right now and I always pick on him about this. Like <laughs> Doug has been a lone wolf his entire like career. Like he's always built his things on his own. And so one of the greatest challenges that I know he had as we scaled was letting go of things, yeah. letting go of, uh, so I hope that I have played somewhat of a role in helping him in that because that's the op, like one of the things I do really well is like I can dive real deep into something, figure it out get pretty good at it and then quickly get rid of it. Like, cool. 
I know what needs to be done here. I know how much time it takes to do this. I know what a good job looks like. I know what a shitty job looks like. Now I'll let it go and let somebody else go do it. What might be an example or some examples of that? Oh, I mean, every single aspect of this business because there's not much I haven't done, right? So uh, YouTube channel. I mean, um, I did the YouTube channel. The first big viral videos that we've done, if you look at them, are the videos that I did way back when. Um, and we still, to this day, and here's part of that, part of the secret to that and what I'm always trying to remind Doug or anybody when I have this conversation is that part of letting go is you have to be okay with maybe no one ever doing it as well as you did it or better. And that's really hard for someone who's been a lone wolf their entire time, built their business, built their baby the way they want. And then now they go, okay, I want to scale and go up, go up further which means I'm going to need to let go of this thing and I'm going to let this other person come in and then you see they're not doing it as well as you are. And it's like, give it back, I'll do it, you know, or fire them until and try and hire somebody else. And then you're, you're in this game of like trying to find a, a, a piece that is this perfect fit that is as good as you or better. And that's like a one in a million and you're probably not going to find that. And you have to be okay with, and, the, and really what it is is learning that your time is more valuable somewhere else now. And it's not that, you know, oh, I'm going to keep plugging away until I find someone who could do the job as well as me or better. It's that it's okay that maybe uh, when I did it was an A plus and now when this person's doing it, it's a B minus because now that time that I was spending on that, that I can now allocate it to this other part of the business that is becoming more of a priority. And so when you look at everything in, in this business, there's very little um, from everything to uh, the YouTube channel, to the uh, marketing side, to like the, the email sequencing, to the HubSpot stuff that's ran on there, to all the partnerships with uh, sponsorships and advertising conversations, to creating those contracts. I mean, all of those things I've done. And I don't do any of those things anymore. And somebody else runs runs all that stuff. And so you have to be okay with that. And absolutely, I believe for the most part, and that's not to insult anybody on my team, that I could step in and do it as well or better. One of the coolest things about that, and as you were sharing this, like I kept thinking back to my dad. So my dad's owned this business that he's been for, I think, 25 plus years and marbling granite tooling. And even though he's the CEO and he's the guy, he develops products, he innovates, he's got tons of trademarks, very successful. And he will still, multiple times a week, drive the forklift and go in the back and help package. And it's not anything like trying to be like, oh, I like, because it sounds cool or anything like that. It's legit. He will bring it and, and show the new hires or show the guys in the back that have been there. And that's actually why most of the people for my family's business have been there at least 10, 15, one guy, even 20 years almost. And it's like, I think it's so cool because not just in business, but later I really want to chat about fatherhood. You know, I really do believe the most powerful thing you can do and we can do is be that model. So, I mean, one of the things I shared is it's so nostalgic being here and seeing your team grow. Like I was asking Doug right before we started recording, how many people are on their team? And he's just, and I'm just like, holy smokes. And to see the different industries you guys are in. And so for you to have grown in that way and also stayed humble enough and model it for everyone else and to be interchangeable in that, in that perspective, or not interchangeable, but be able to step in, yeah. like I think is probably one of your biggest strengths. And it is super inspiring. Well, you I mean, let's tie it to fatherhood, right? We don't have to completely transition there, but there's such a great lesson there that has to do with fatherhood. Um, and I, I, I don't know if it was a Jordan Peterson clip I was watching or, or what it was, but it was just something recently. And it was talking about like how, you know, kids don't, 
you know, listen, like, what do you do when your kids don't listen? It's like, the secret isn't what you say to them, it's what you do. They're going to model your behavior. And being a leader in a, in a business is very similar to that. Like, if you tell your employees to do things a certain way, you could tell them all you want, you could threaten their jobs, and maybe that will motivate them temporarily. But if you really want to, to show them or, or teach them or get them to do something, you show them. You have to see, you have to model those behaviors. And if you model those behaviors, which is why anybody who's ever worked with somebody, and if you haven't worked with someone like this, then it's, it's unfortunate because it's, I've been lucky to have several people in my life that I've worked alongside of that could bury me as far as their work ethic. And it's always been inspiring for me just to see someone like, wow, this person's outworking me. It's just contagious. You, it, and it's without words. It's not like they're telling me like, hey, you're not gonna stay later. It's just, they do it and you see them do it day in and day out. And it, it just, it naturally bleeds into you. Or you end up being someone who's, who you don't want working for you and that, you know, discourages you and doesn't make you, that's not someone you want. You want somebody who sees that as inspired by that. And I think that's what you're looking for employees is that, uh, let me show you first, you model the behavior. And then when they see that, that how they respond to that is, tells you a lot about their character. So, um, and I, again, all the guys, uh, the, all the partners, I think, understand this and and uh, and have been this way. And they also, everybody's very humble. So you hit another point that I think is really important too, is humility. Like mine comes from, I, at 19 years old, I started in the fitness space. I was a trainer. By 20 years old, before I turned 21, I was already, they promoted me to manager. And so I was managing 20 trainers, all of which were older, more experienced, and more educated than me. Like that was like, I had no choice but to be humble. Like they were all smarter, more experienced. I mean, it's like what, I mean, that was such a challenging dynamic to be thrusted into from my first experience of like real leadership that it really grew me and it taught me a lot about how to get people and to navigate in a direction while also knowing that like, man, I don't have the angle, the power angle of I'm smarter, I'm more experienced, I can do it better than you. It's like, how do you get all those people to lead? And it takes a lot of humility to do that. What I'm curious to, if you can go deeper on that, because that's such a important thing that you shared. Like when you're working with people who are, again, whether it's older than you, especially like, like I've got a lot of respect for my elders, like whether it's in not in just business or if I come across someone who's elder, like there's just an inherent level of respect that I was raised with, with people who are older than me. And if I were coaching them, like I remember when I was in um, even high school and college, I was running two strength and conditioning programs, one in each place. And when I was in college, I was still in college and I was the main strength and conditioning coach for Santa Clara University Tennis. So I had guys that were older than me I want to be humble, but also I need to have the confidence to step up as a leader right. and have confidence in what I do. So how were you able, in addition to humility, how were you able to navigate that at, at that age? Yeah, no, it was, a, it, was an, it was an interesting dynamic. And I can't say that I was completely successful at the gates. Like I, I failed a bit at first. I lost employees. It was tough. Like, um, I mean, matter of fact, I remember at one point letting go of like eight different trainers at one point because it was wow. start. Yeah, no, it was, a, it, was a, it was a challenging situation for me. And I'd say it probably took me six months to a year to like really hone in on it. Cause initially I had this, I'm, I'm young, I'm only 20 years old and they, and they assert me in this position. And I think right away that I have to be, you know, confident and direct and tell people what to do. And I, I quickly realized that, you know, and, and this is something I would teach later on, like the difference between a good closer and a great closer is this, a good closer can push anybody into a sale. A great closer can pull somebody into a sale. 
And really when I'm trying to get people to do what I want them to do working for me, I'm closing them. I'm closing them on my ideas. I'm closing them on my vision. I'm closing them on the direction I want us to go. And what I think I was doing early on was trying to push everybody in that direction. And what you get is push back from that and people kind of revolting. Instead, I, I had to find ways to kind of lead them and pull them in my direction. And a lot of that sometimes is actually through more asking questions and playing the role of almost like I didn't know or I need help. And I quickly figured that out. Instead of me trying to assert myself or allowing my ego to get involved, it'd just be like, and by the way, I know we're sharing this for the podcast right now, but this is actually something you do very naturally. Whether you realize it or not, you have this gift already. And it was something I recognized in you the first time that we ever met. I mean, you didn't come into our studio and feel the need to rattle off uh, all of your experience, your expertise, your knowledge. You came from a place of right away, like, I want to learn from these guys. And for all you know, you're way smarter than I am. You're way more experienced than I am, but you didn't come that way. You came right away with this idea that I can learn. And so it's literally having that switch is that, okay, even though they all work for me, there's something that I can learn from all of these people. And nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So if I came from that perspective of these people understanding that I care about their well-being and I want to learn from them, then they'll be a lot easier to direct and lead. And quickly, I figured out not only that, by asking questions and caring and asking them things, I quickly learned where their holes were in their business. And what I found out, and this is what makes Sal and I such a great team, is both of us had tremendous success leading teams in the fitness world, but for completely different reasons. Sal is for sure the, the science nerd and fitness guy. I mean, that's who I go to still to this day when I'm lost or struggling or don't understand something or need a study read. Like I still lean on my partner for that. That wasn't my strength. My strength was actually my business acumen. It was runs in my blood. It's where I'm passionate about. And what I quickly figured out with almost all trainers is you could have a, you know, PhD, master's in kinesiology, 10 years experience in training and have a passion for people, all the certifications, but there was a huge lack of knowledge and conversation around making money and building a business and scaling and like understanding how to do that, especially back when I started 20 years ago. And so I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is cool because this is actually what made me a, a, a successful trainer. It wasn't because I was a great trainer when I was 20. What got me promoted, yeah, in their eyes, they saw revenue for the company and numbers and money. It, but it wasn't because I was this amazing trainer. It was because quickly I understood like how to build my little trainer business and scale it really quick for myself. It was easy. For me, it was. And so when I started asking more questions from my team and learning about them and coming from a place of caring, I started to figure this all out. I was like, oh, wow, he's really smart. She's really smart. She's got, well, she knows way more than I do about anatomy and physiology and nutrition. And like, they're all smarter than me in those areas. But boy, Ask them how much money they're going to make this month and how are they going to do that? And they were lost, completely lost. They didn't even know where to start. I thought, oh, wow, I could totally help them all here. And so that's what I did was I really implemented this structure on how to make money. And that became kind of like my theme as I went on to other clubs and, and built other teams was, listen, my promise to my staff always is, I can't wait to learn from all of you because much of you have way more experience in the, in the fitness space than me and way more knowledge. And I can't wait to read the books that you've read and you guys to teach me these things. What I promise you is the time that you work for me, you will make more money in fitness than you've ever made in your life. And I'm going to show you. 
And that was like my spill, like whenever I got a new staff was, was that because that was what I had to give is I had that to share and to teach and help them. And it was true. It's to this day, anybody who's ever worked for me will tell you that when they worked for me, they made more money working for me than they ever did. And it was simply because I taught them how to operate their business um, more consistently than probably anybody else had ever showed them or, or taught them before. Wow. This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Lifestyle, my nine-week follow-along kettlebell movement program for both beginners and intermediate lifters. It teaches you in a methodical way how to not just improve your kettlebell lifting, but how you care for yourself for a lifetime. Bringing intentionality to our movement journey is a key to lifelong performance. As a way to bring this to life in a practical way, Today's coaching tip is something that can be applied to any lift you perform in the gym, and it has to do with the approach. What I'm about to share with you is what I would do before so many of my big power lifts and kettlebell sports sets. The next time that you set up to perform a lift, take a pause as you stand in front of the load and close your eyes. Now, feel your feet firmly rooted into the ground and take a slow, deep breath in through your nose. As the cool air gently passes through your nostrils, Notice yourself expanding, your spine lengthening. As you exhale, allow yourself to send that energy into the floor, centering yourself for what's about to take place. Take a brief moment to visualize the movement as if it's already happened. Then, step forward with one foot, followed by the next. Grab a hold of the weight with intention and confidence. And lastly, trust that you got this and simply do what you came here to do. I find it fascinating that all of the top athletes in the world go through something like this, of course, in their own way, which makes a good argument for how meditation has a place in our training. Please share the difference you notice by setting up in this way, and I'd love to hear your experience in a review of this podcast. And if you'd like to go deeper with me, you can check out my flagship program, Kettlebell Lifestyle, which includes guided workouts, active meditations, warm-ups, morning routines, and more that will leave you feeling more vital and confident in all of your performance goals. Now back to our show. One of the things that's coming up, so like this is so common in the fitness space, especially for personal trainers. I mean, coaches, even massage therapists, like anyone in the health and, and fitness space. And what I've seen is, in my experience, is primarily two things. It's do they have the skill set? And then also, is there some type of limiting belief around it? Any advice you have for trainers? Like part is focusing on developing the skills. And then the second is like, where do those ideas and those stories come from? Well, I mean, you just said something that's really powerful. The stories we tell ourselves is extremely powerful. So if you say things like, I am bad with money, or I have a hard time making money, or I, or I observe from my dad, or right. I observe, you know. Yeah, I, I'm not good at sales. Like, you are, you are defining yourself with a statement like that. Like you have to get rid of that in your vocabulary. You've got to stop first. Say before you ever fix it, you got to stop saying that because you're already telling, if you tell yourself that you're, you're going to stay in that place, you could say, I have room to get better in sales or, you know, I'm working on being better at these things. Like those are okay things to say because you acknowledge that's an area that you you need work and you can grow in but if you define yourself as I am this bad person of sales you will remain bad at sales so you got it i mean what you say to yourself is so and you're right a lot of times it's stemmed from childhood stuff that was either said to us 
or that we experience and therefore we adopted. And so we think, oh, our parents were bad with money. Therefore, I'm bad with money. And so therefore, I'm just going to say it's like, whoa, like, no, you can stop that. And the, the, the first part is how you communicate uh, to yourself and about yourself and with the story you tell yourself, you have to reframe that, you know, and one of the things that I, I um, you know, I actually was just meditating on some stuff and I wrote out down some of like some key things, my key things I tell myself. And one of the things it was uh, of the four that I had written down was things uh, happen for me, not to me. Mm. And so that's super powerful. It is very powerful. It's one of the most powerful things that because uh, I and I believe that all the way back to, to my my father's suicide, that it, that is such a tragic thing to to bring up a talk about because people instantly go, oh my God, I feel so sorry for you. And I'm sorry. And they, I was like, no, it's okay. I wouldn't change anything. As sad as, as, sad as that is a sound, it, it turned me into who I am today. And, it, and it, it happened to me for a reason. And I have so much to give because of that. And like, there's so many other things positively that has happened to me because of tragic things that have happened in my life. And so you, you have to start reframing the way you look at things like that. So yeah, when you say things like I am, like that's a very dangerous place to be. And then the other place is just ex ex accepting that's an area that you you have room for growth and then and then working on those things, right? And also even reframing the way you look at it. Like people look at something like sales as like this dirty word. It's like, it's all sales is, Sal says this all the time. I think it's such an easy, it's such a great way to say it. All sales is, is effective communication. You know, you're here, if you're, and go back to your, you know, in the, anything in the health space, right? Massage therapist, uh, you know, wellness practitioner, trainer, whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm in the business of helping people and I confidently know I have something to give that is very valuable to you. And the better you are at communicating that to someone, the better you're going to be at sales. The shittier you are at communicating that, the shittier you are going to be at sales. And so, you definitely don't want to be telling yourself that I'm bad at sales while you're also trying to scale your wellness practice or your training practice because you're working against yourself by saying that. It's like, you know, hey, one of the areas that I'm continuing to work on is my communication skills or my sales skills. And I'm doing this to work on that or I'm, I'm reading this or I'm listening to this or I'm learning that. And so you have to start with the communication that you say first and then, it, but it's okay to identify areas that you can improve on but to just um, dis disregard something like that because you think you chose a profession that has nothing to do with sales or that like, oh, I want to just help people and I don't want to sell. Like, no, all sales is, is effective communication. And if you think your profession doesn't require effective communication for you to be great at it, you're ridiculous. You're crazy because being a, a, a wellness expert or a massage therapist or a trainer, anything in that realm requires you to communicate very, very uh, uh, difficult things, both behaviorally, nutritionally, biomechanically. Like you, you've got to be able to communicate that stuff to people. And if you don't, if you don't have the words to do that, uh, you're going to have a really hard time doing this profession you say you love to do so much. And so they're one in themselves. So stop telling yourself, you don't like, or I'm not good at sales and start <laughs> reframing the way you look at that. That's so key because also too, like it, at least how I hear it and experience it, because I said those things, those very same words to myself at some time or another. And for me, they carry a different energy. Like it feels like one, I can't, I shouldn't, I hate marketing or I hate business. That feels legitimately like my feet are in cement yes. and I'm sinking. Yeah. 
But just the simple shift of like what you were saying, like I'm continuing to learn or I have an interest in or parts of me are scared to go into business, parts of me. And that creates just way more fluidity. And I can actually see myself actually wading through water. I love fitness and health and training. That's my number one. But what I will say is once I've started developing reps in business and actually started seeing some of the results over time start developing, I actually started falling in love with it. And so part of it is also being willing to be a beginner again, or at least be, again, humble. And it's just, we need to apply the same, the same approach that we did when we were first getting into fitness in just a slightly different avenue. If we can connect our why and be humble enough to say, hey, I've got something to learn, it can be pretty amazing. 100%. I mean, there, in order to be success, really successful in, in our space, I think you, you need to do both. At what you do first or what you put most of your priority, I think there's room for that, like to be different, right? That's where, you know, I was, I was lucky that I had that success and I wasn't a very good trainer. Now, what's cool is when I think about Mind Pump, the success, where we're at here 20 years later, um, I think I'm a pretty good trainer now. Acknowledging the, the progression and the evolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's you important know, to celebrate that and to acknowledge that. Right, and I, and I, and I have. I've, 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 and I've accumulated a lot, of, uh, a lot of knowledge over years and years. And a lot of that was work managing trainers who worked underneath me and sucking up their knowledge and, and being humble enough to learn from them even though I was the boss because they had something to give to me that I recognized right away that wasn't a strength of mine. And that's okay. I can still be their boss and, and help us be successful as a team. Cause that was my job was to help this team be successful and success was measured in how well the company did. And that's actually what I was really good at was that part. It was okay that the anatomy, physiology, nutrition part, I was still kind of piecing together because I knew enough to definitely at least help the, the, the average client who came in, but I was at no level a master trainer or somebody who was really, really that good until way later, until the years of, you know, at this point, I've had hundreds of trainers who worked underneath me. And so I've had the opportunity to lead and manage uh, at least 100 people that are, were far smarter than I was in, the, in all those fears. And so I've, I've accumulated that knowledge because of my humility and by the way, it's such a powerful shift in leadership to empower your people that way where you make them feel like that, that they are valuable, that you can learn from them, and they're way more receptive to you with, with as far as your leadership. I mean, one of the single best books ever I read in leadership, and if you're listening to this and, and this at all is something that you want to improve on, it's a day read. One Minute Manager completely shifted the way uh, I led as a manager. And it was all during around the same transition of when I said it was a little struggle at first and I started to get better. This was one of the most pivotal moments was this book. And the and I'll, I'll ruin it for everybody because it's a short read anyways, to make my point, is this kid is doing a report, if I believe, it's been a while since so I've read it. I believe a kid was doing a report and he's interviewing like a Fortune 500 company, I believe. And he's uh, interviewing all the people leading up to the boss and asking about this, this manager. And everybody's talking about, how, oh, how amazing this manager, this and that. But he's, and every time he asks somebody uh, all this stuff and they're ranting and raving about this manager, and then they ask how often they see him, like everybody's like, oh, I rarely ever see him. And then he's like, he's going scratching his head, like, how's this guy such an uh, amazing leader, but he spends so little time with all of his people? Like, this is not adding up until he finally gets to the top. And one of the things that he finds out is that, what this guy does is instead of looking at his employees and when he sees them make mistakes, correcting them on what they did wrong, he focus in, he flips it and focuses entirely 
on the things that they do right. And I remember I read that book the same time that I just finished another book that did this survey on employees. And it was, uh, how, how well do you give your employees, uh, um, you know, affirmation and, and tell them, you know, good job and reward them. And, and at that point in my career, I thought I was uh, like a total cheerleader type boss and people love working for me is what I'm telling myself. And they did that same survey on all the people that work for those CEOs. Well, when they asked the CEOs, it was a scale of one to five, one being terrible, five being amazing. You know, what would you rate yourself? Well, these are all Fortune 500 companies. So all these CEOs thought they were all great at this. That's what made them great and why they had these successful companies. So they rated themselves an average of 4.7 out of five. They asked those same questions to all their employees that work for them. Well, guess what the number was from them? It was like 2.7. Wow. And so the lesson for me was, oh, wow, here I think I'm this person who does that. No matter how much I think I'm that, my people perceive me that I don't do it enough still. And so the takeaway was, okay, and then I read this book, One Minute Manager, and it's telling me that like, this is how I should lead my people. So, okay, well, what do I do? How do I do this and actually measure it to see if it actually makes a difference in my business? So what I did, and my staff didn't know this, is I set uh, alarms in my Palm Trio, okay, dating myself, uh, of their names, right? So I had 20 trainers or so back then, and uh, an alarm would go off. And it would say, Mike, you know, just like it would buzz on my palm trio and it'd be like nine in the morning. And I knew at that moment, what I told myself, I'm going to do this consistently for a while until I see if I can measure a difference. I walked over to you, wherever you were on the floor, I stopped what I was doing, walked over to you, put my hand on your shoulder and I complimented you on something that I saw you do well. Now, ideally, I would want to try and catch something that I've seen you do recently. But even if I had to say something like, hey, man, I noticed last week the way you've been coming in, you're just, you're dressed so sharp and ready for work always. And 15 minutes early, I just appreciate the, what the energy you bring to this job. Like that's it. And then I walk away, say nothing else. And it, it could be that simple, or it could be something as more like, man, I saw the, what you're doing with your client. Like, man, the work you're doing right now, Mike, is brilliant. Like absolutely brilliant. It would be that short, that quick. And then I'd walk away. And the way my staff started to react. And when I really knew it, like was working was about three months later because I'd been really consistent about it. And I actually missed somebody. I missed like my round of like, and there was a, a kid named Anthony he was going through his, his master's program in Kinesis. Smart kid, good trainer. Um, and he walks in my office. It was on a Friday afternoon and I'm sitting at my desk and he comes walking in. He was like all frazzled looking and he just starts divulging all this stuff. I'm, you know, hey, I'll get to my files. I'm so sorry about this. And, you know, yesterday, uh, I, I know I was 15 minutes late. It's finals week right now for me. I promise I'm going to come in on Saturday on my off time. And he starts like, blah, 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 rambling all these things he's doing. And I'm like, where, where is this coming from? And then, I, then it dawned on me that, oh, shit, I forgot to go over and tell Anthony what a good job he was doing. And so just because I had started to train them so well of like Adam always comes around and is always telling me what a good job I'm doing. And then I didn't do that to him for a little bit of an extended period of time. He instantly started feeling guilt for the things that he wasn't doing well in his business. He comes to me and divulges all of it to me. Now, why that was so powerful and what I recognized in that moment was I had already learned it, like when someone comes to you and asks for help, it's so much easier to lead and teach somebody than it is to go tell somebody what to do or what you want them to do. And so him coming to me and divulging what he needed help on or what he was doing bad at opened the door for me to go, oh, you know what? You know, when you do your files, try doing it this way and this way because that's more effective and it's faster. Or, hey, when you do this, try doing it that way because he's divulging that he needs help or he's not doing well in those areas. And now he became way more coachable on the things that I wanted him to do. And I went, oh, shit, that's how this works. Wow, that's really powerful. And that became this 
like huge shift on, on how I led was I made that promise that I would always lead from that point of view. And I still do this today here. And that doesn't mean, because like when I tell a story, people are like, what, so you never tell somebody when they're doing something wrong or you never correct them? No, now it's hella powerful. When I come down on somebody and I can come down hard on somebody because it's not like you're used to that from me. You're used to praises. I'm constantly, consistently walking over and telling you what a good job you're doing and recognizing all the little things you do for us and making you feel so appreciated. So that one time I bring the heat and I go, what the fuck? What were you doing here? Why did you do that? They feel that. And they don't look at it like, oh, it's Adam's always ragging on me. Adam's always, no, I'm not. And, and you have the consistency from me as a leader of not doing that. I'm constantly telling you what a great job you're doing, but hey, you know what? You didn't this time. Or I don't even have to point it out. I can just come walk in an office and be like, what have you not told me about this week? Well, the interesting thing about that is I think even though when you do come down on someone, it may not be comfortable for them, but I genuinely believe that's what people want. They do want to be held accountable because that's also showing that you care. That's right. And it's just like you found a way to uh, navigate this leadership, but also to empower them. And one of the things I, I just want to go back to that I think you did really, really well, and it also connects to fatherhood. And I'd love to jump to that next. But when you gave compliments, they weren't just like, you're doing a good job. You gave specifics around it. And that's what, if someone were to tell me I'm doing a good job and they kept telling me that, it might, I might feel a little bit good, but I'd be like, for what? Like in my head, I'm like, what did I, like, I want to know, like, tell me something specific that I did so that I can either reproduce that and I can continue on this train and this track. So that was huge. And I also think as a father, that's one way that we can also help build healthy self-esteem and confidence. Like, as opposed to saying, you know, you're such a good kid, you're a good kid. When you did this, like when you put away the dishes or when you did this, that was great. It helped out the family, helped out mom. Like it's a very different energy. Oh, it, it's such an important point that you just made because I've told that story many, many times before. And I've had many people go, oh, wow, I'm gonna go try and implement that. And that's the number one mistake that people make when they come back and report to me, like, I don't feel like it's working. <laughs> or that. I told my, my, I tell them every week, good job, good job. Good job. I'm like, that's the problem. It feels so inauthentic because it isn't inauthentic because you're doing it just because I told you because you want the you want the results from the end. And so all you're doing is parroting good job. You don't really mean it. You're not, you're not taking the moment to really think about something they have done well. You need to do that. It's very important or else it will come off and they will feel it's inauthentic. It's so, genuine. And it's yeah. okay. Like I said, it doesn't always have to be so related to like their specific job. It could just be their attitude, you know, but it needs to be specific. You need to figure, you need to see something, you know, and, I, and there's time I said uh, the way you smiled. And the, 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 I mean, I love Mike, the way you come in the day and the, and I saw you in the lunch break with all the staff and making them laugh and stuff like that. Like, I appreciate that energy that you bring to this team. It's one of my reasons why I love you. And I walk away, but it has to be real. It has to be real and something that I did observe so that you really truly feel that. And it's not me just, you know, bullshit. It's like, so I'm this way with the words, I love you. So uh, in my house, Okay, with me and my wife, like we don't throw around the word I love you. And I don't use it a lot because I think it's abused a lot. I think people just say it as a reaction. Hang on, I love you. See, oh, I love you. Oh, I love you. It's like, and love is such a powerful word, I feel like. And, and it's something that uh, I didn't understand for a very long time. Uh, like what the meaning of it, what it was for me. And so I feel, and I've always told Katrina this, that if I say I love you, you at that moment 
can ask me, what was I thinking about? And I will be able to give you something very specific about what I love about you. And I will always be able to do that for you. So you might not get it a lot from me. You might not get to every time we hang up the phone, I love you or say, I love you. Like you may not get a hundred of them in a week. Like some, some people are, you know, they're, I love you at everything like that. But when I do say it, I guarantee it carries weight because I'm thinking about something very specific. And she, to this day, because she knows she doesn't get it a lot and she does want to hear that like anybody else would. So when I do say it, she always goes, what are you thinking about? And then I'll be able to tell her something very specific about our relationship or her specifically that she does that I love. And it's been a very powerful thing, I think, in our relationship to do that. You know, what's interesting about that is, so when I was in college, I did a, I was spent a year uh, studying abroad and working abroad in Italy. And I was in this program. It was, uh, what was it? The, like the Academy for Foreigners or something like that in Siena. So we had people from all over the world. And I don't remember where this, this classmate came from, but there was people from Switzerland, Israel, all over. And one of the things, because I was saying, like we would speak Italian, but also they wanted to practice some English too. So we would speak mainly Italian, but I'd be like, oh, like to a buddy, like, oh, I love you, bro, right? And what's so interesting, I, don't, I wish I could remember the culture, but this is part of, I think, the issue with the English language. Because when you look at other languages, and I remember they were pointing this out to me, they had multiple words, multiple different ways of saying, like, I care for you or whatever, but the I love you, they're like, we don't say that. That's reserved for something like what you're oh, saying. Interesting. That's reserved for like my wife or like in specific situations, but there's other ways to say it. Whereas in the English language, I believe it's just something that's, we have one major way that we've been trained and through culture and stuff like that to express that. I mean, that's, that's really interesting, actually. That's super interesting to think about it. I mean, I thought a lot about love for a long time. I used to not, I used to say, I don't believe in it for the longest time. Um, but that's because I misunderstood it. You know, I always thought about it as like, I think it's marketed to us in you, in the, our culture. And it's like this feeling, it's like this magical feeling that you're waiting for. And it's not, it's an action. It's something that we choose. Love is not a feeling. It is a action. It is something that you say, if I, so if, if I say I love somebody, it's like, I'm choosing to love that person. I'm choosing to, and, and that what comes with that are actions, are behaviors, are things that are attached to that. It's not this, this magical feeling that washes over us that we're all waiting for. And I think that's what we all think. I mean, or not all, but a lot of people think that way, that it's this, and I think that's why a lot of relationships in our, in our culture are suffer is because, you know, that feeling that you think you have many times is lust or novelty. And when those two things wear off, now you're left with this, oh, oh, maybe I don't love this person anymore. So we should divorce and I should try somebody else out. And it's like, no, nah, that's not what love is. Love is a choice that you choose to do. And so choose wisely, you know? So when you're thinking about a partner and, and doing life with somebody that you're going to latch up with and either have a kid or spend the rest of your life with, you know, don't, don't make that decision off that sexual tension feeling you have in the first six months or whatever like that. Or the like the newness of like all this new stuff you're experiencing, the novelty, because those two things are going to fucking go. I'll tell you that right now. And so when they do go, you better hope that you've picked somebody who you have a lot of things either in common with, or you think compliments you really well, or you really appreciate their values and their mission and their vision aligns with yours because you're about to do life with them. And so it took me a long time to figure that out and, and, and piece that together. And I think that it's a very important point to make when you're talking about the feeling of love and love as an action. So 
you know, before we started recording, we were talking about, because uh, I'm obviously, for those that don't know, uh, Lauren is pregnant. We're going to have a baby in like six months from when, when this show drops or five months. And uh, one of the things that you had shared was just how, I'll have you sh- obviously explain it, but like your level of respect or admiration for Katrina oh, yeah. has just evolved since having Max. So I'm curious, how has your relationship evolved and changed pre-baby, post-baby? So one of the cool things about picking a partner that you've decided you're going to choose to love for the rest of your life is it tends to grow as life goes on, which is cool. So like in w- the way I feel about her today at year 12 is, I mean, literally it shits on what I felt like in the honeymoon stages that people talk about. Our sex is better. It's more frequent. Um, I'm more attracted to her. Um, I, I love her as a person more. I would do more like today than I would when I first met her and all those newness feelings are. And I really feel like that's what happens when you align well with somebody and then you make the choice that I'm going to love this person and we're going to grow together. And as we continue to grow together and new challenges in our, in our journey present themselves, um, the, 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 the love grows more because I chose somebody who does life the way I like or similar to me or how I value or that like my, my moral foundations. And so as we navigate through those things, it just makes me fall more in love with her because I would have never known what it was going to like to have a kid with her. Like, yes, I, I, I chose to love this woman and make decide I'm going to do life with her right now based off all those things I'm saying. Like, okay, I'm pretty sure she aligns with me. We make a great partnership. We make a great team. I, I really enjoy all these things with her. And then you, and you hope you did a good job doing that. And then life happens, right? You lose a job, you start a new business. She switches a career, you get pregnant. You know what I'm saying? All those things happen. And then how they handle those situations, really, I, I think that a lot of times that's what breaks relationships that don't have solid foundations. That was off of novelty or some lust feeling. And then, then, then life hits. Because that shit's, when, when, when you're early on in a relationship, and a lot of it is built on novelty and lust. Sometimes that can weather the, the early stuff or like little disagreements, or maybe you don't even have very many disagreements, but inev- it, it's inevitable. Life, life happens. Sooner or later, you know, job change happens, family issues happen, you know, pregnancy happens, marriage happens, you know, losing, like there's eventually stuff happens like that. And at that point, you better hope that you pick somebody who really, really aligns with you. And she's just continued to confirm that. And, you know, off air, we were talking about her pregnancy and, and I didn't know this. Now, of course, I was attracted to this quality at her early on. She was a D1 collegiate level basketball player. I didn't make it that far as an athlete, but I still like to identify as an athlete, right? <laughs> I could do that today's time, right? Can I say that? I identify as an athlete. <laughs> I can say I am, right? So, <laughs> so I, I still think of myself like that. And, um, you know, the attributes that she has, she has leadership qualities. She's got a little tomboy in her and stuff like that. And she's got grit, man. She has uh, two older brothers uh, that were very rough. They're super rough older brothers. <laughs> and so she carries a chip and she doesn't get shooken up by much. She's not very emotional. Like, so a lot of those attributes I loved from her from the very get go. Now, when I fell in love with that, I love that where I was at in my life. We, I wasn't even thinking baby. In fact, at that point in my life, I thought I might not have a child. Okay. Early on. Why was that? Um, because I was so driven career, career wise. And I knew I wanted to reach a certain place uh, of 
success and financial freedom that would allow me to be a, like a full, like a father that doesn't miss any of these things that we've talked about earlier. I said it was either I was going to build something that allowed me to be a very full-time present father, or I might not, maybe it's not in my cards to be a father. That was really the way I looked at it. It was like, you know, and I'm, I, I have a spiritual background as far as I believe in God. And so I believed that if it was meant to be for me, that I was going to be a dad uh, and, and, and have a child. Um, and he knew my wishes for the type of life I wanted to create for myself, that it would be presented to me if it was meant to be. And if it wasn't meant to be, then it wouldn't present itself. That's kind of how I, I, I looked at how things were going to go. And so, of course, as I was getting into my 30s and I hadn't reached that place business-wise, I thought maybe it's not in the cards. So I, I wasn't sure. Uh, but we did. It all, it all came together. It worked out. And, uh, but when I, when I started with her then, I had no idea what pregnancy was going to look like or anything like that. But now when I look at it, and I think I gave you the analogy of like she, she handled pregnancy and having a child like a division one athlete would. I mean, it just, if, if if anybody who is one or has been with one knows probably what I mean by that. And she's just got this, this grit to her. Like, you know, if you've played sports at that level, that shit, you've been pushed, you've been pushed to near being broken. Like if you made it that far in sports, there's been plenty of times where you were the underdog. There's been plenty of times where you got your ass kicked by someone way better than you. There's plenty of times where you probably rode the bench and you just had to keep your mouth shut. And like, I mean, there's so many, there's so many characteristics that you have to have in order to kind of made it to that level, I believe in sports or higher. And I really saw that come out in her as a mother. And it was really cool to see that because I love those attributes. And then, and I, and of course, as a, as a husband and partner, I'm trying, I want to be as empathetic and patient and understanding. And I have a lot of friends that I've watched their wives go through pregnancy and I've seen them come and come to me and be like, Oh my God, wait until <laughs> she gets the trimester to, you know what I'm saying? They're telling you this shit. And you're like, Oh fuck, you know, you're getting nervous as a dad. Like, how am I going to handle it if she gets crazy and she does this? And like, you know, so I, you think about those things, right? I'm sure you could totally relate, you know, and you and you want to be patient and understanding because by no means can any of us handle what she's probably going through. Mm -hmm. But I was really blessed, man. Um, I remember her just like chiefing it through everything. I mean, just and really being competitive with herself like an athlete with her diet, with her sleep, with her breastfeeding, you know, with her consistency with our son, like just she had this switch went, you know, and also, by the way, if you ever asked her, she, she would tell you that she was also potentially not going to have a kid. So she was like me where, you know, if I have one, I have one. If I don't have one, it's not in the cards, not meant to be whatever. Although both of us would have said we want one, but not at the expense of like what we wanted to, the life we wanted to build for ourselves. And hopefully that included kids. So, uh, you know, when that, it's not like she spent a lot of time thinking about, oh, wasn't like, pressure on the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't pressure on the relationship. She also wasn't one of those, like, I, she wasn't a girl who was like thinking so much about, you know, motherhood that she had it all figured out in her head or thought like she really didn't. But when that, when it came time, like this switch hit. Mama switch. Yeah. Just game on, you know? You know, what's interesting is, uh. So when you were sharing about her personality, at least how I experience you, is like you have two very strong personalities with opinions and stuff. So when you guys have experienced challenge, whether it's pre-baby, post-baby, whatever, how do you guys navigate, especially from the D1 athlete, that's more of like a, the masculine side of things, right? The assertive, 
that sort of stuff. So how will you guys navigate being two strong people and now where you're at now? What a good question because, um, of course, we don't have, we do not not have challenges or have issues, right? We're, we're completely human. And one of the things that uh, I probably had to work on the most was uh, recognizing when I get those attributes that you're describing in a woman that there's something's got to give, right? So then her feminine side on certain things like, so for example, and also things that I like, right? So I really, I, I'm, I'm the neat freak of the two of us. I want my house tidy as hell. Like, and I'm like, that stuff super matters to me, right? And traditionally, women that I've dated in the past or a lot of my friends that are married or have wives, like the wives like take care of the house and do that stuff. Well, you know, that's not Katrina's strength. And I remember early on in the relationship that would frustrate me a lot. Like I get upset about that, like, oh my God. But then I also be trying to be patient because I'm like, she's working too and she's doing this and she's not like she was lazy. She definitely wasn't lazy <laughs> by any means. Yeah. And that's what made it really difficult was it's like, it'd be different if she wasn't doing anything. And I'm like, hey, could you help out around the house? Because I'm doing a lot. Or, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like that at all. She's doing a lot. Get off the couch. Yeah, she's doing a lot, <laughs> arguably as much or more than I am. Um, and so I had to redefine what that looked like for me as far as like, okay, I love that those attributes about her so much that I have to learn to make up in this area that, you know, I could pick, I could pick the ball up here, even though I, maybe I quote unquote, don't want to, because she doesn't care that much. If she, if you saw uh, the house being uh, messy to me is clean to her still. Yeah. We have. And so it's not like this, like, so that, that, that's and not the, one's right or wrong. Right, exactly. It's just I have a I have a different uh, and, and so what I had to recognize was it's me who wants it at that level. She has a lot of these masculine traits that I love and I wouldn't trade. Like I wouldn't give those up to have like the super house cleaning wife. I wouldn't. Like as much as I want my house to be spotless and look like a hotel room every single minute of the day, it's not worth giving up those other attributes that I absolutely love about her. And so I had to, I had to personally work on that, that, okay, well, if it's that much of a priority, one of two things has to happen. Either one, I have to let go of the pressure of that. And, you know, her definition of clean is going to have to suffice, or I need to step the fuck up and take, pick up where she's not and elevate it to the level that I want. And, and not resent her in that process. That's right. And, the, and not resent her while we're doing it. So we have a really, really, really cool uh, just policy with each other. Like why I think this is, is because the relationship was built on uh, a friendship first. So we mm -hmm. had a, a business relationship slash friendship for almost a year before we dated. And so I was attracted to her as funny. I was, I wasn't as physically attracted to her. I'm way more physically attracted to her today than I was even the, the first time I met her, the first year we dated everything. I, what I was attracted to her from day one was just her as a her person and a personality. Like I knew I liked her and wanted her in my life, whether she's a friend or whatever. It was like, I like her. She was cool into the same stuff as I was like very, 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 very cool person when we first met. And then all that other stuff grew like through our relationship. And so because we, we have this foundation on friendship and communication. And by the way, when we first met, like I'd tell her about other girls, she was dating a buddy of mine. So she was dating a buddy of mine. I'm, we went out, so Katrina and I, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, the first time we ever actually went out somewhere together, we were on a double date with other people. So <laughs> she was with my buddy, Paulo, 
and I was with my girlfriend Monique and we went on a double date together. And ironically, like there, it wasn't like we were on a double date and we're like checking each other out and like, into, like I was into Monique. She was into Paula. It wasn't like that at all, but we liked each other as people and, and had this, this friendship and then, uh, then turned into a business relationship and then later turned into a relationship. And so because of a lot of that, I think that anytime one of us, and we're, we're very in tune with each other's, you know, quote unquote energy uh, from each other. And if someone's putting off energy, that's just off even the slightest bit, it's like, Hey, what's going on? Like, how was your day? Or, you know, you got something you want to tell me, or you got something on your mind or, and we, we normally get it out really early before it turns into resentment and a uh, passive aggressive behavior and bullshit like that. We, and it doesn't mean we're perfect in 12 years, but I would say 95% of the time, um, we feel the energy well before it manifests into uh, resentment, passive aggressiveness or anything else and do a good job of calling it out and just being like, hey, I could tell you're in a mood or like you're frustrated or you're tired or what's going on. Like, is it something I did or is like, what's going on or can I help? You know, like, and then that normally opens the door for the other person to go like, you know what? Like yesterday when I came home, like I was just frustrated. I saw like, you know, I stayed up late cleaning and everything like that and you did this and that and like, and so I'm a little irritated, you know, or, Hey, I, you know, you said this to me and like, you, you know, that bothers me. Why would you say, you know, and, and then we, now we have this opportunity to communicate what is really going on with us. And then we work, we work through it. And, and that what's neat about her and I is that, you know, and being together for 12 years now is it's always evolving and changing. Like, um, you know, I'll give you some like really, like really personal insight on this type of stuff that is new to me right now. I, I have this new thing that I have felt uh, in the last year and a half, two years of, and I've never felt this way before. I have always felt like, oh man, I got this girl who's this amazing, like badass partner and my, my equal in both business and, 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 and growth and all this stuff like that. We have all these similarities and the, the rise in success of mind pump, you know, the behind the thing, the thing that it has created inside of me as this, um, and I, and I, and I hearken it back to like, you know, like a, like a, a lion or like primal, like this, I have slayed enough food and shelter I've got for my family doesn't have to worry. They are taking, my son is taking care of, my wife is taking care of, they will always eat. They will always have a house. Like I've never felt that before. Like I've always been on the climb and building. And for the first time in my life, I go like, holy shit, like I, I did it. Like they, they are fed, they are, and they have a good, they're gonna have a good life and shelter. And, and, it, and it now makes me feel this, like I wanna feel like a king is what I expressed to her. And I, I remember we started to have this little challenge a little bit with, you know, she would like, and we have a lot of business conversations and she's in the business. So she'll have these things where she'll like challenge the way I'm thinking. And uh, I remember kind of snapping back at her a few times. And she's like, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just, you know, I think you should do this way. And I'm like, you know what? And I remember flashing out and kind of being like, I'm so tired of like having to explain myself to everybody. What else do I have to approve to everybody that I fucking figured this out? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I got us. I got you. I got up. Like, I don't want to have to explain myself every time and, and definitely don't want to. I don't mind explaining. I definitely don't want to argue with you about something I feel confident about. And I, I don't feel like I should have to do that anymore. And I remember we had this little rough patch because, and, and, and then she, we actually had great communication around it. She says, boy, this is really hard for me, Adam, because 
This is one of the things I love about us is I, I love that I get to challenge you that way. And I love the way your brain thinks. And, and I said, no, I get that. And I also recognize that I don't want to stifle that. Right. I don't want to, I don't want you to not to do that. And it, it was a, this kind of back and forth we had. And I was like, man, I said, and I told her, honestly, I said, I'm just being honest with you. Like I, this is a new feeling for me. Like I don't, I'm, I'm processing it as we're going through it of it. It's new. And, and I told her this, the only thing I can relate to it is that I have this new feeling of like, I, you know, and, and I want to feel that kind of respect. And I definitely want to feel that respect from my lioness. Like, I want to feel like the king. I want to feel like I have slayed the dragon. I want to feel like I have built the shelter that you're taking care of. And so when there comes to situations in the business or in our life where you're, you're challenging the way I want to direct us, I, I now have this new feeling of wanting to bow up. And I've never felt that before. And so it took a lot of conversations. And, you know, it, this was not that long ago. This is less than the last like few months uh, where we like really worked it all out and kind of figured it out on how to, how to get through this. And what it came to was actually running into a couple situations, a little bit of frustration finding, then communicating about afterwards and like recognizing that we're both going through something right now and figuring out we both love each other, which is an action. And we're like, we're going to work towards this because we know we want to be together through this, but it is new and we're evolving and changing. So what does it look like? And I, and I recognized her side. Like I recognize that you, I, I don't want to stifle you. I love that about you. So I don't expect you to change and stop. And really what it came down to was how she challenged me. And I said, in the past, it didn't bother me so much when I would say some of that and you would challenge me, we'd go back and forth because I was still in this phase. I felt like I was trying to prove to you, to myself, to everybody. But now that I'm here, like, I, I don't want, I don't want to do that anymore. So if you just help me here with instead of always being like telling me no or saying that like, no, I think it's a bad idea or say, just ask me like, well, why do you want to do that? Or what's your thinking behind that? Or why did you choose to do that? If you present it as a question versus a, coming at me or telling me I'm wrong or no, I don't think I'm going to bow up as much. And so if you can help me there, I think we can still have this great conversation. You get what you want, which is the business brain of me that you love to hear and the, the back and forthness of, so you can challenge me, but challenge me through questions versus challenging me like you're telling me no, or you're arguing with me. And uh, it took a little bit of work through that because it was new territory for both of us. But the, the recognizing of it right away when, when it was felt, the communication, and it wasn't just communicating one time, we had to practice a few times when it would surface. Uh, in the relationship. And and now I feel we're at that place where those, because those moments happen a lot because we do business together. So there's a lot of, and she does a lot of things for the business and that they overlap a lot. So there's a lot of times where I'm just like, this is what I want done. And, you know, in the past, she would always challenge it where she knows that that's not what I want from her anymore. Uh, but then also she wants to be engaged in that. And so it's just like, okay, instead of me saying, you know, that's a bad idea or what like that, saying like, well, why did you do it that way? Or what are you thinking? Or what's your thought process by, you know, acting that way or cutting that person off or firing that person? It's like, so um, I do believe that we have figured that out. But I mean, that that that's just like a, you know, small microcosm of our, our relationship, right? There's that. And I gave that to you because it's very raw and recent for us and presented a really challenge. I mean, it, we we got in some really heated conversations uh, over this this topic. And but to me, uh, when you really love somebody, you, you find ways to, to work together in that. And then afterwards, it grows. 
like my love for her watching her through pregnancy, like after she went through that process, I'm like, oh my God, my, my love for her just deepened. And even this new challenge that we just recently went through, like it just deepened again. It was just like, oh my God, like I went through this whole thing that I wasn't aware of the, uh, a new feeling I'd have. And my partner is so badass that she was willing to work through it with me. And then together we just became stronger and tighter. It's Well, that's the biggest thing that came up as you were sharing that story. It's like a few things. And I've had this conversation with many people that either like I respect or admire. And like, first off, just want to say thank you so much for sharing that. Because I think whether it's in relationship or business, when we see people that are highly successful or that quote unquote have it all, the 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 default is to think, oh, like they've always had it figured out. And so it's really genuinely like refreshing and like touching that you're willing to to share that part. And what I really got from it too is from the way she is and the way you are to the way uh, just your your energies are and the way you guys navigate life and the business relationship, the biggest thing, the biggest thing that I took away from that was just the willingness, the willingness to participate in it before things blow up or before just the willingness, not to necessarily have it figured out, but to figure out the shit together. And it's just like, and that's why I think too, it's, it's what you said exactly, a big part of whether it's at Mind Pump or your relationship with Katrina, a big part of why you don't maybe experience the massive problems is because you try to nip them in the butt early on. And that's not to say they won't come. And that's not to say big problems won't come. But when there's that pattern or that habit of willingness, that's what I'm looking for in a relationship. Like I know I've got my faults and I've got my patterns and stuff like that. I know Lauren's got hers. But one of the things like my pattern before was I used to shut down at the end of the night, very averse to conflict. (laughs) (laughs) And so I've had to grow into that. And so when we would go to sleep at night, my pattern, if we had an argument or whatever it is, even just a light disagreement, I would disassociate shut down and go to sleep. Yeah. Whereas her, she's like waiting and craving that connection. What I've realized is even though I don't know what to say or how to say it, I could even just start. And I've done this many times with like, sweetie, this is really hard for me right now. What I really want to do is just shut down, go to sleep and talk about this tomorrow when I've got more energy and I'm tired right now. And this is hard, but this is also really, we, us, what we have is so important to me. And so I'm willing. So if you can just give me a little leeway, because what I say is not going to be perfect, yeah. but I'm genuinely doing my best. Yeah. And that's what, like, every time you share that, I was like, man, they've just got such this incredible commitment to partnership, to communication, and a willingness to participate in the relationship. Yeah. That's so important because you're about to enter into, uh, you know, what some people would say is one of the more challenging things in life. And that is raising another human with a partner and a person, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but I, I, at least my experience so far with that, and I know I'm only three years deep into it is it hasn't been that challenging because we align so well on things. And again, it doesn't mean we don't disagree on things or I feel strongly about things. Like one of the challenges with Max right now that we have that we don't fully agree with or that was this back and forth thing. And I know that a lot of that, like, and what I love about us is we're a nice balance is I know I'm extreme on one way because I recognize, and I told you earlier that I believe everything, uh, you know, happens for me and not to me. And so uh, a lot of the, I went through a lot of adversity as a child. 
And a lot of that adversity I look at now as an adult as gifts, like, oh my God, like that's what made me this type of a person. And oh, that's the reason why I'm okay. That's why I'm strong here. It's like all this stuff that was so difficult and so hard for me as a kid uh, created these incredible characteristics that I love about myself today. And so I recognize that my son is going to grow up in a completely different household, uh, like nothing similar. And so I'm very cognizant of that. And I'm also very mindful that, man, I don't want us to spoil him or give him too much. And I want to, and I know that, and the thing that we're challenged in our relationship is Katrina looks at him as so young and such a baby and so early. And I'm like, man, it starts now. You know, adver you know, adversity starts now. Like there's little things that we can be doing already to challenge him a little bit and not give him everything he wants. And like, and I'm, I'm all, I'm that way. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to deprive my child of love. You know, he's going to feel love and he's going to re receive a lot of love from this family. And so you need to get used to <laughs> all this love he's going to get. And so there's this little dance that we're playing right now, back and forth with our son, because I, I'm so worried about, I shouldn't say worried, but it's, I'm, I'm, I'm very cognizant of that. And she is on the other side. So it's like, there is a little bit of that going on right now, but there's lots of conversation around it. We definitely talk a lot about it in different areas and there's, you know, been, and together, I think it's going to work out really well because I don't, I think it's so top of mind for me as a, as a father that I'll never allow him to be spoiled and I'll always find ways to manufacture adversity. And so I already think about that now. And as it, stupid as it may sound, like it started with him early, early months when he was learning to crawl. And I remember it would be really hard because Katrina get mad at me if I let him cry for too long or whatever like that. And I was just like, no, he needs to, he needs to feel that. He needs to be challenged a little bit. And so I would have to take him out of the room where she wasn't at. And then I'd take him upstairs. This is when we lived in our other place. And, uh, and I, I would, I would set him across the room on the other side and I'd sit and be like a little bit further from you and I, and I'd have a toy to try and get him to crawl. And he'd do like one or two, and then he'd fall on his face and then he'd cry and I wouldn't go rescue him. I wouldn't get him. I'd stay there. Come on, son, you could do it. This and that, and, you know, and I, and I do have video of him, of, of this actual interaction with, with each other. And it actually watching the video almost makes me cry because it breaks my heart to see the tear run down his eye and he's challenged. And so inside I'm like, oh, I'm crying. But I'm like, he, ha I, I, he has to feel this. He has to work for it. He has to feel that challenge. And so I think like that a lot. Um, and it's something that um, I'm glad she's receptive to it, but I know she's very different. And so hopefully together we make a really good team on that. Stuff. I think that is the, you know, the perfect team. And I know we're going to wrap up soon here, but that really, I think that truly is the role of the father. Like when you, when you go through, like when you look at tribal societies or whatever, it was always, you know, and there's different ages at which this could happen, but like it was the mom that had to let go of the son and trust that the elders or the men would take him and initiate him to manhood. And it's like, it, and it doesn't have to be anything, especially at, at, at three years old, doesn't have to mean drastic, but there's little things that we can do. And the father is what, uh, the vision that I have when you were sharing that is like, creates the walls around the castle, creates like the, the protection of the safety, but also can, can know um, productively and strategically how to start honing in and developing his courage and his sense of self in a way that's not so, um, you know, all soft or all, not soft is the right word, but it's just overbearing from either side, yeah, yeah. right? It truly is that balance. 
Well, I'm curious, man. I, man, this has been, this has gone by so fast. This has been awesome. <laughs> I would love if you could share, you know, we talked a lot about relationship and a little bit now about fatherhood. What would you say has been one of the biggest takeaways from you now being a father and just being a partner with, with Katrina that, that comes up? Oh, um, for the first time in my life, I think I have real purpose. So up until this point, I think, uh, I, you know, I probably changed what I said was my purpose or, you know what I'm saying? Or like yeah. it, at every season of my life, it was, it was like, it is so clearly defined now. And, and, and boy, motive, I mean, you kind of alluded to it earlier when you first walked in and you made the, like, uh, the, like, and you, and it, any father can relate to this. It's like this thing that just happens. Like the switch goes off. Like I have become, uh, so much, uh, I'm, my, my fiscal responsibility, uh, the way I carry myself and act and like, I mean, there's so many things I am thinking. And so this whole purpose now of, I am going to, I mean, he's my legacy, right? So he is going to carry me on in, in this. And so everything that I do, I am modeling uh, right now on how I want him to be. And so uh, before I didn't have that kind of purpose. Like it was like, yeah, I want to be successful. Yeah. I want to help people. Yeah. I had like this kind of like real kind of generic things that I thought were my purpose in life. And it's like, oh no, like this is, this is going to be me when I'm gone. Right. Or this is a part of me when I'm long gone. And so I want to leave all the best parts of me to him to carry on, uh, to his potential son and, 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 and so forth. And so uh, it's weird, but now a lot of times when I'm faced with decisions, um, one of the easy things that help me make a decision is I always think about like, well, what would I want my son to see, you know, or what would I want him to think of me if I choose this way or that way? Or so it's, it's been really interesting and all the way down to the simplest thing is like choosing to work out today, you know, like when I don't want to get up and work out, it's like, no, nah, like it's going to be so good for him to see me get in the garage and lift and bring him out there. And he's playing with his toys and he sees dad lifting the weights. Like that has become a new motivation to train. It's like, that was never a motivation for me. I've never come from that place where many times I grab the weights and lift weights. Cause I want him to see me do that. Um, how I treat his mother. I mean, I've always loved her and cared about her and, and I've always been respectful, but I'm even more cautious about, how I act and how I say and how I love her in front of him because I know that that modeling that behavior is how he's probably going to treat women when he gets older. So God, my purpose is so defined now and every step of the way, uh, every day to me, it's like, I, that's what I think about. I know like the, uh, you know, the, the Christian belief is the, the WWJD, right? The bracelets that got so popular, right? <laughs> oh. Right. What would Jesus do? <laughs> but I find this even more powerful for me is this like, you know, what would I do if my son saw this, you know, this behavior, this action and like, do, do I want him to carry that on? Do I want him to act that way? Do I want, do I want to pass that trait down to him? And so it's, it makes a lot of my decisions really easy now with my life. And so yeah, the, the 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 defining of like my 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 purpose in life is like it's like so clear to me now, and it's like totally even the way I like I said a fiscal responsibility, like how I spend money on myself or I do things. It's like in the past, I was just like, oh, I have the money, so I'll go buy this, I'll do this stuff. It's like, no, I, I don't want to see, I don't want him to 
think that all this, that's all that matters is these, these things that dad has with that. I also want to make sure that I'm building, you know, this, this stability later on for him and what potentially I hope to pass down to him. And like, so a lot of that stuff like is swirling around in my head, uh, without trying. It's not like I'm like, I have to actively think about it. It is there. It is top of mind as a, when you're a, a present father, I feel like you can't help but think about a lot of those things. And so I love that it's given me that. I love that it is is redefined that because I really think that it has made me a, a better person in all. It's made me a better business partner. It's made me a better husband. It's made me a better friend. Like all those things. I mean, it's as stupid as they sound. It's even how I react and 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 talk and communicate to my friends and the people I surround myself with. Like, you know, I, I think about again, like the what do I want for him and what do I and how do I model that in my life? And I and I try I constantly have these check-ins with, you know, are there things that I that I say are very important to me or I believe in that I am not doing or modeling for him? And if I'm not, it's such an easy check. Like, oh, okay, well, I say this is important, but when was the last time I did that? Or when was the last time he's seen that me do that? Like and it's kept me in really good check with a lot of things that are really, really important to me in life, man. It's pretty cool. It's a very cool thing. This is so cool, man. I enjoyed this conversation so much, especially now having a kid in five months or so. So like, yeah, I just appreciate not only your time, your presence, your wisdom, man. Like this has been so much fun. So cool. I'm excited for you, dude. dude thank you so much. Yes. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path, and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.